This is the word of the Lord for us. Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When the mother Mary had been betrothed, sorry, let me read the word of God accurately. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for she, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Lord, I pray that you would meet us this morning. Lord, as we anticipate Hearing from you, would you, would you soften our hearts? Would you awaken our hearts to what is here in your word, Lord, the, the treasure that, that we have in your word? I pray that it would have its effect in our hearts. I pray that as we look at this Christmas story, we would, we would fall more deeply in love with you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, I, I, I like to think about uh, taking a, a different angle on the Christmas story. So, sometimes when watching movies, I may have said this before, I, I, I like to think about um, uh, what it would have been like to be on set as they recorded uh, the movie and, and filmed it. If you, if you strip away all of the, the music, special effects... And everything that goes into making modern movies, and you just see actors and cameras and microphones and directors and people putting the sets together and working and to change of, of costumes or whatever. There's, there's really, really nothing spectacular about the way that it looks to be there without everything that goes into uh, making the movie spectacular. And the, the Gospel of, of Luke uh, contains some of the more spectacular elements of, of the Christmas uh, story. When you, when you read the, the Gospel of Luke, you see these incredible things that are happening surrounding the birth of Jesus with the, the angels and shepherds and uh, heavenly choirs singing uh, it would have been a pretty awesome thing to behold. No, no special effects uh, would have been necessary. That, that all happened in, in real life. And it's incredible to read about Luke's uh, account in his gospel. And in Matthew, uh, we, we, we read it, it's a little bit of a, of a different account. And, and there's the absence of some of these spectacular things that, that Luke records and, and the, the thing that is spectacular about Matthew's gospel is, is what you kind of have to read and understand about what he's actually describing as, 
as happened. And, and he takes a look at, at an often overlooked character, which is uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father. And, and so this morning we're going we're gonna to look at things from the perspective of, of, of Joseph. Uh, what, what was Joseph's life? How did his life change with the, the arrival of Jesus Christ? And we're going to see, um, from, from his perspective, the, the, the Christmas story is really a story of how God used a faithful man to protect Mary and Jesus. And, and God used him as an instrumental part of his plan to save the world in, in these early days of the life of Jesus. So, so what can we learn about the gospel through the life of Joseph. As I read his story this week and, and studied the, the character of Joseph, there were a couple of things that, that jumped out uh, to me. Uh, Joseph was uh, a man who put himself at risk to protect Mary and Jesus. And, and his life really is an example of obedience and righteousness. Faith-filled obedience and, and righteousness are, are what we see in the, in the life of Joseph. And so our, our, the, the two themes of this story, which will be our two main points uh, this morning, are we're going to look at God's protection of the vulnerable. And then we're going to look at this idea of the, the fruit of, of righteousness. But let's look at this idea first of, of God's protection of the vulnerable. There, there's a passage in, in James, as, as I've come to understand the, the life and, and story of Joseph, we, we have this passage in, in James which says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, and, a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You, you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This verse, if you think about the life and story of Joseph, really encapsulates uh, Joseph's experience. This is a man um, who, who came to not presume on, on the plans that he may have had for his life. As, as his life was completely upended uh, by what happens in these verses that I just read. Uh, he did not presume on his life. It was uh, our lives, as, as this passage teaches us, are, are short, like, like a mist which vanishes. And, and we have an opportunity as believers to live every day in obedience to the will of God. And, and that's a great encapsulation of Joseph's story. The, this man played an incredibly strategic role in uh, what appeared to be a, a shortened life that he lived. He only appears on the pages of Scripture a few times. There's not a lot of biblical data about uh, Joseph. Uh, we know that he was engaged to Mary. He thought about divorcing her when she uh, became pregnant. And, and through a series of, of four dreams that he had, encounters with angels, he, uh, he, he led Mary to Bethlehem, he led Mary to Egypt, and then back out of Egypt, uh, all at the right time according to the directions that he received. 
uh, in these dreams. Uh, Joseph was never quoted in Scripture. So he truly is a man that is known entirely for his actions, uh, not, not his words, as, as he served as an instrumental uh, human agent in God's fulfillment of his promises. And as, as I read the story, it's, it's really easy to gloss over some things uh, about his story and what, what would have been his, his struggle and his encounter with the news that he received. Uh, for example, Matthew 1.19, uh, kind of a throwaway verse in, in the Bible sometimes as we read it. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So this probably doesn't rank uh, very highly among like the most uh, often preached verses in, in the Bible. And it's, it's easy to just, we, we just take for granted that, that Joseph didn't divorce Mary. We, we just kind of, yeah, we know that that's what happened. And, but let, let's not rush through that. When, when we think about what that says about Joseph, it, it says he was a just man. And, and it also alludes to some of the struggle that Joseph would have had at that point when you understand the time and, and culture. This really says a lot about the kind of person that, that Joseph was and why he was that perfect human uh, player to accomplish what God was doing at this point in the story of life of Jesus. Well, what Mary was dealing with was the assumption that she had committed adultery against uh, Joseph. And uh, unlike today, there were significant civil repercussions, very punitive uh, you know, aspect towards women, especially uh, single mothers at, at, that, at that point. And, 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 and even larger than the, the, the civil you know, repercussions that there could have been was the, the social stigma that would have been something that Mary had to deal with. This was a very shameful thing and would have been a, a scar that, that Mary wore for the rest of her life, this uh, assumption about her uh, that would have existed uh, uh, in, in that time. In fact, the, our, our word for stigma you know, comes from the Greek uh, word which refers to like a mark or a tattoo on your body. And, and that's the idea that that this would have been uh, something. The the assumption that that Jesus was a child born out of wedlock would have been something that they that they wore as a as like a tattoo for the rest of their life. It would have been always uh, with them and affecting their reputation for the rest of their lives. And so so Joseph is dealing with a couple of things as he gets this news. He he obviously loves Mary you know th- this would have uh, been something that came as a shock to him as he found out that she was uh, pregnant and this very implausible claim that you know she was still a virgin and this child was from the Holy Spirit I mean imagine Joseph kind of wrestling with processing that he it, he obviously didn't believe Mary because he was planning on on divorcing her and and dealing with I think that sense of betrayal, uh, uh, that he would have felt uh, from Mary in, in all of this. But, but Joseph was also a faithful man. He, he was a, it says he was a just 
man and, and his resolve uh, to divorce her quietly so that he doesn't put her to shame. That, that says a lot about his heart. Where there, there was no desire that he had to retaliate against her. There, there was no desire that he would have had. He, he was trying to protect her reputation. And so when, when the angel came, you know, th- this was the decision that, that he made. The, the angel, first of all, confirmed that what Mary had told him was true. That, look, th- this, this was the Son of God. That Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. And, and you, should, you should not divorce her. And, but, but this decision that he had was a decision that he, he effectively was putting his own reputation at, at risk in order to protect Mary in her vulnerability. He was stepping in and essentially assuming her shame on himself because the assumption would have been that, that Joseph was the, the father and that they had been to get together before they were married. So that, that stigma that would have been on Mary, Joseph, by staying with her, was assuming that shame on himself and, and kind of stepping in to cover uh, her shame. And, 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 and throughout these repeated interactions, we, we see Joseph stepping into that role of a protector of both Mary and, of course, of Jesus. And these repeated dreams and, and interactions, at, at every step along the way, an angel appears and, and informs Joseph that, that, that he needs to do something that, that comes at a great risk to himself. And and this was the opportunity that he was given over and over again, four separate times throughout these first few chapters. In his obedience to God, he put his reputation and his life at risk to protect Mary and a child that was not his own. You know, hearkening back to the, the passages in Philippians that we've been reading about the Son of God not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself. Or, or as we were saying a few minutes ago, mild he lay his glory by. This idea of the, the condescension of Jesus. Think of the circumstances that Jesus was born into. Think of the the circumstance Jesus was born into controversy, scandal, and shame. That, that, that's, the, that's the setting, that, that's the environment that the Son of God entered the world into. And, and Jesus' condescension doesn't start with being born in a manger. It starts with this controversy over Mary's pregnancy. The, the very birth announcement of Jesus was shrouded in scandal. And, and, and Joseph stepped into this role of, of protecting Mary and Jesus at, at their most vulnerable points. First, by taking on himself the, the public shame of all of the false assumptions and slander that would have surrounded them uh, in this environment. He is described by Matthew as a just and upright man. This is the only thing said about him in the Bible to describe his character. His reputation was unquestioned. But being a just and upright man doesn't mean living in accordance with God's law so that we can 
self-righteously look down on those who are not as righteous as us. Jesus was going to come and, and live a life that was also just and upright and sinless perfection. But part of Jesus' righteousness and why he did that was that he was going to come not just to live just and upright, but, but to cover our sin and shame through his death on the cross. And so this, in a way, is foreshadowed by Jesus' earthly father who obeyed God and stepped in to cover Mary's shame and assume a, a public reputation that was affected even by sins that he did not commit. This is the heart of the gospel in the Christmas story. It's a story of righteousness bearing insults and accusations and covering human shame. We see this in the, the passages here. And ultimately, this is what Jesus would do for us. One, one article that I, I read pointed out how this stigma over his uh, birth uh, stayed with Jesus throughout his his ministry. Long, long after Jesus' death, uh, there's a pat interaction with some Pharisees in, in John 6, in which Jesus is making claims about his earthly father. And it's clear that the Pharisees are obviously not, sorry, about his heavenly father. And it's clear that the Pharisees are not believing him. And they, they say something to the effect uh, of, okay, Jesus, we know who your real earthly father is. Okay. John six forty two. Is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, there was innuendo about, hey, look, they they did not consider Jesus even to be a legitimate child of his earthly parents, and this this false this these lies, this slander about about this uh, survived all the way through Jesus' ministry as people tried to tarnish his reputation. So, so when Matthew sits down to pen his gospel. When he makes this statement about the character of Joseph, he's, he's setting a record straight. He is saying once and for all, this, this ringing endorsement of, of Joseph, he was a just man. He was an upright man. He was a godly man. And I, I just think about Joseph and his story. I mean, this, this ringing endorsement of his character being recorded for all eternity in Scripture was, was nothing that he would have heard during his life. I mean, he died before Jesus' earth, earthly ministry uh, was even underway. And so the, the only feedback that Joseph heard uh, from his decisions to sacrifice his own you know, future and reputation to protect Mary while he was alive would have been these whispers of slander and suspicion which impugned his character. And so what, what a picture of the, the triumph of God's grace for a faithful servant of God who lived under the ridicule and shame to have the definitive statement of God's righteousness as the enduring proclamation over their life for all of eternity. That's what the gospel does for us. It is not sin and shame which define us. It is righteousness through Christ which defines who we are in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been to a memorial service and you have those thoughts when you're at a memorial service as people are eulogized and I thought, man, 
I wonder what the person who died would think about all the things being said about them. A lot of times we don't hear about the appreciation people have for our lives until we're gone. And people start reflecting on what are the impact of our lives. I'm going to a memorial service tomorrow and I've had thoughts about things that now I kind of wish I may have been able to communicate to the individual while they were still here. And Joseph's relative obscurity and Seemingly early uh, death and absence from Christ's ministry. There's a lot that he missed. There's a lot that he gave his life for that he was not around to see. And in that way, Joseph's experience is like a lot of faithful believers throughout history who have known only on the other side of eternity the, the true impact of the plan of God and the privilege that we have to participate in that. Sometimes those impacts are not seen until the other side. And, and look, I, I think this, this is speculation on my part, but I would love to think that at some point in, in Jesus' uh, ministry, as he did things like, like covering the shame of the woman caught in adultery and enduring all of the false accusations on, on the cross, I, I'd, I'd love to think that that. that that Joseph was at that point in heaven, seeing the example of Jesus Christ as, as the fulfillment of his life of obedience. And what reward uh, that there would be for him at, at that point. So, suddenly it, it starts to make sense. And, and, and this proclamation over Joseph was, was not a proclamation that he was perfect. It, it is an attestation, though, that uh, of his heart for God of his life of faith-filled obedience. And, and our second point this morning is about the fruit of that obedience. Look, look at the, we are the fruit of the obedience of Joseph. What, what if Joseph had done things differently? I, I know it's a hypothetical question, and, but, but it, it, it begs the question, that this individual, in the context of God's sovereignty and his, his faithfulness to fulfill his promise, that, that's the the, the theme of our series. That, that's, that's what Matthew 1 and 2 are all about. God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. The, the fact remains that it was the obedience of Joseph to the direction of God, which was instrumental in the promises of God being fulfilled. Last week we heard about all of these promises that God kept the birth of Jesus, going to Bethlehem, fleeing Egypt, returning from Egypt. There were all of these things which happened as a direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Each of these things happened as a sovereign God ordained the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And each of them happened because Joseph obeyed God. Joseph fulfilled, it was instrumental in fulfilling the promise that a ruler would come from Bethlehem because he stayed with Mary and took her to Bethlehem. The fulfillment of God's promise that he would call his son out of Egypt occurred because Joseph put his own life at risk and fled to Egypt and then put his life at risk again to come back from Egypt at the prompting of God. The working out of God's plans is, is never separate from human activity. And the invitation that we have is to 
pursue obedience to the Lord, to pursue righteousness, to cooperate with God in the plans and purposes of God and to pursue the advancement of the gospel, the expansion of the kingdom of God. Well, we're not just here to sit back and say, well, God's going to fulfill his promises so I can just live however I want. No, that, that's not the response. God fulfills his promises and we're invited in to that, to live lives of faith-filled obedience and to see God fulfilling his promises and allowing us to play a part in the fulfillment of this. So, so don't miss this key idea here. This, this is a, a subset of Matthew's theme of promise and fulfillment, that, that Joseph's obedience to God's direction, his pursuit of righteousness, played an incredibly strategic role in propelling forward God's redemptive plan, not, not only in the physical safety that he afforded to save the life of Jesus, but some of the details of how he led Jesus, even in the circumcision and the pursuit of the fulfillment of Old Testament law and his role as an earthly father of Jesus, which set up Christ to fulfill his messianic ministry later on. Look, not, not all of us can say that we that, that our risky obedience to God played you know, qu- quite the direct strategic role in the salvation of the world and altered the course of human history that, that Joseph could, could say. But, but what's true of Joseph is it, true of all of us. That it, if the heart of the gospel is that, that justice and righteousness would cover human shame, well, the, the advancement of the gospel is faith-filled obedience and risk-taking in pursuit of that mission on behalf of those who have been called according to Jesus Christ. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, these, these ideas of faith and obedience are, are tied together as the vehicle through which God's plans move forward. Romans 1, well, well the, the book of Romans begins and ends with this statement Obedience of faith. Romans one twenty six talks about the grace of God, which bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. And, and then and the doxology at the end of Romans, celebrating the gospel being proclaimed to the nations. It's to bring about the obedience of faith. This is the beginning and end of Paul's writing to the church at Rome. In, in Acts 6.17, as the gospel moves forward, all throughout Acts as people are uh, coming to a saving relationship with God, this, this phrase, they became obedient to the faith. There, there were many priests in Acts 6-7 which became obedient to the faith. In Titus, Titus 3-1, our, our posture is one of obedience to God, which positions us for every good work that he's called us to do in pursuit of his work of expanding the gospel uh, throughout the world. The, 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 these concepts... Uh, that we as believers would live lives of faith-filled obedience as the vehicle through which his purposes are accomplishing is all over the pages of the New Testament. And it leads us to a place where we realize that, that faith is not just an intellectual agreement with something. For Joseph, his righteousness and faith, uh, there, there was feet to that. There, there were feet to that that said, Assume this risk. Go here. Do that. At great risk to himself. It, faith resulted in obe- obedience, which 
which resulted in boldness and, and courage and action that he took. Like I said, there are no words of Joseph in all of Scripture, but there are definitive actions that he took in obedience. He is known by his obedience and his actions. He truly was a man of action. Our obedience and faith should lead us to take actions which serve to move the plans and purposes of God forward, to to say no to comforts and ease and to say yes to God's leading, whatever that means for us, whatever the, the cost, the risk to ourselves, which leads us right back to the passage in James, which I mentioned earlier as a defining statement of the life of Joseph, that our prayer would be that since our lives are that vapor, that our prayer truly would be, Lord, eh, oh, Lord, oh, whatever is your will, that I will go here and do this or that, that, that everything about my life would be dedicated to serving God as an expression of faith-filled obedience for the sake of the plan of God being accomplished. And so since this Christmas story features a, a man who was committed to obeying God, regardless of what it cost him in terms of his life and reputation, a, a, a great question for us this morning as we pursue a God who is faithful to his promises. The question is, are, are we faithful to God's word? We know that God is faithful, but are we are we faithful to God? Are we committed to doing everything to follow God? We don't have angels appearing to us in dreams. That'd be nice, you know, sometimes if like facing a decision, God would just send us an angel and tell us what to do. How, uh, how, how helpful would that be? Look, we, we have the word of the Lord. We have something better than an angel. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God himself in us. We have the word of God and the spirit attesting to the faithfulness of that word, empowering us to live according to that word for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I believe that will allow us to live lives that can truly be said that they are ones of faith-filled obedience, courageous risk-taking, saying, Lord, it is only your will that should be done regardless of what our desires and, and will might be. So the, the heart of the gospel in the Christmas story, that, that justice and righteousness covering human shame and producing a harvest of fruit through faith filled obedience. This is the experience of Joseph, which, which we're invited this morning to share in. So let's ask God to allow his gospel to have this effect in us. Let's ask God to come and give us the obedience of Joseph to say, yes, Lord, wherever you lead me, I will go. Not so that my righteousness can be on display, but so that the righteousness of Jesus Christ can move forward and so that the name of Jesus Christ can be exalted in all of the earth.
Lord, that is our desire this morning. Lord, I pray that you would you would allow us to see your faithfulness to your promises. And Lord, you would create in our hearts a desire, a, a craving, a, a, an urge to cooperate with you in the fulfillment of your promises. Lord, as we contemplate the story of this just and upright individual, Lord, as we sang earlier songs when love came down to earth and made his home with men. Lord, as we sang in the verse of that song about you covering our shame. Lord, I'm aware that there may be elements of of sin and shame which we carry with us. Lord, I, I just pray that this morning the final word over, over that would not be the, the false accusations and condemnation of the enemy. Lord, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that as, as we embrace the gospel, that we would embrace freedom from guilt and shame. Lord, if there are sins that are unconfessed, Lord, if there are elements of our fallen nature which rear its ugly head, Lord, I pray that your grace would triumph and that the righteousness of Jesus Christ would be the final word. Lord, that you would grant the gift of repentance. Lord, that you would allow us to experience the joys of forgiveness. Lord, that you would increase our resolve to walk in righteousness. And that you would provide the joy of the freedom of Christ in the gospel. Lord, I pray this morning that we would truly be found as those who are living lives of faith-filled obedience for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ.